Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights. I'm Tom Reid and tonight, in advance of Monday's FA Cup trip to University City, Oxford, I'm joined by three gentlemen and scholars. It's Andy Bodfish, Ian Brandt and Jefferson Lake. How are you doing, guys? You OK? Yeah, not bad. Thanks. Yeah, right, mate. Another lockdown. I think we started in lockdown Good. and we're going into another one. So, yeah, I'll just have to you know, keep it up. Um, Andy, how's it going, mate? Because I noticed we gave the kiss of death to Shakhtar Donetsk recently, held in their victory over Madrid. I think they got pumped 6-0 by Borussia Mönchengladbach. Oh, it's Mönchengladbach. Um, yeah, yeah, but just, uh, yeah, that's absolutely right. But yeah, um, that was the other night, Champions League, wasn't it? Um but no, my, my, my football moment of the week, fans basically having their say on um, pay-per-view football. The Premier League testing the waters and, you know, these mugs buy £50 training shirts. They'll go for this. But no, actually. I read a very good piece uh, by Jonathan Liu in The Guardian about yeah. how obviously the only option now is to follow football, you know, sort of on, <laughs> online, you know, watch your match on iFollow or whatever and, you know, sort of have your say on the usual platforms. You know, that's good and bad. You know, a sort of positive from that is everyone bundling together and creating some sort of heat around an issue. And in this case, it was, yeah. it, you know, it got through basically. No, you're taking the proverbial. And, um, it's not going to happen. So sure enough, that uh, that idea has been rolled back and it's not going to happen now. And that's a good thing. Definitely. I saw an article by Daniel Dory. or might have just been a tweet. He's a pretty good football writer. And he was just saying yeah. that collective action does work and it's, yeah. shown, it's shown to have worked. And I just think after the you know, good 10 years of fans groups and fans organizations trying to be you know pretty civil with the elites in football um that run football and try and trying to just go down the you know negotiation and doing things politely that you know how i'm not sure how long you can appease you know big big animals like the premier league and i just think that it's probably it's probably now with project big picture that people have realized that direct action has to be taken at some point you can't just keep trying to be civil and trying to negotiate and going into meetings with people and when they're planning stuff like project big picture behind the scenes um and maybe looking at germany for their direct action and the the stuff they've done over there and trying to keep football a bit more fun 
friendly. So yeah, I think it was about time something like the the boycott of the fourteen ninety five happened, and it seems to have been knocked on the head fairly quickly. So well, yeah, I think yeah, you have to, well, you have to take every positive you can in this, uh, yeah. this strange world. And um, I mean that was <laughs> that was one, I suppose, on a really basic level. Yeah, I enjoyed that one too. Um, next up, it's Ian Brunt. We've been in meetings all week trying to arrange sponsorship of the podcast by Chili Village, but he's been eating all the profits in chicken goujons. How are you doing, Ian? Tom. Have you uh, have you been down Chili Village in the last no, couple of days? No, you, your... no. What I did, I took a, obviously following on from the idea for what's that Spanish drink? I know I should know the red wine and coke. Calimocho, Calimocho, yeah. yeah. I took a I took a carrier bag down there and just held it out and I just said, yeah, sticks. <laughs> I know I'm not allowed to eat in the restaurant, but just just stick some chili in here for me, will you? And then um, <laughs> I went back down again. So. So what's your uh, football moment of the week going from culinary uh, inspiration to football one? Have you been uh, despite, yeah, despite what I said despite what I said last last week about Marcus Rashford, I was thrilled to see Man United get beat in Europe. Um, <laughs> if they're gonna if they're gonna break off and, and join a, a European Super League with no qualification where they're just automatically there um, every year because they've got billions of fans watching in China and Asia. And they're going to get beat by uh, Istanbul. Then yeah, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> Let them play their um, exhibition. Yeah, I think that's a good. Yeah, that that is true. The um, idea of this European Super League. A lot of people have been saying, you know, they're not even half the time, not even the, probably the top five in English football anyway. They're not even far off the bottom of the of the Prem, are they? You know, <laughs> they're not. They're struggling in the Prem. I mean, I know they're top of their group in 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 um in the Champions League, but you know. We lost that last night. Yeah, so that was a good one, Ian. Um, last but not least, we've got Jefferson Lake, who's uh, been playing his championship manager all week, I should think. You know, how are you getting on with your championship manager, Jefferson? All right, actually. I follow a couple of sort of uh, championship manager-based Twitter accounts, and uh, yeah. one, of them, one of them posted a screenshot of the Ajax squad that's in that game. So the Ajax team from 1997 which contains one of my favourite non-Northampton Town players of all time, which is Yari Lippmanen, along with pretty much like an all-star squad. So I started a new game with Ajax. Uh, it won't surprise you that I'm absolutely cruising to the league t- league <laughs> championship. I've got a very tasty uh, European Cup. I, it was Champions League by that point, wasn't it? Uh, quarter-final, I think it is, against Inter Milan, who have Ronaldo up front, so that should be a, a, a big test for the lads, but one I'm confident we can uh, we can equip ourselves well with. That's where we are with that. Who else was in the Ajax team? Uh, so we've got, you know, you've got people like Richard Vichka, you've got the De Boer yeah. twins. One, Michael Laudrup, I think, is there. I tried to sign Brian Laudrup in the spirit of having, you know, having his brother there. He's at Rangers, but sadly were beaten to his signature by Barcelona. So we go again. Um, who else? Uh, they've got uh, Danny Blind, who's doing a great turn. Overmars term. in there? No Overmars, sadly. Although he is available, so I may I may try to get him. Um, the <laughs> left mid is Peter Hookstra, who was uh, also went on to play nice. for Rangers. But um, so yeah, we uh, yeah I might do some do some um, rebuilding in the summer. Depends how we get on. The Inter game is going to be a big measure for us because if we if we can mix it with, at the top table with the cream of Europe. Then uh, <laughs> to mix several metaphors in one, then we'll uh, then we won't need to buy too many players because obviously we'll stroll the league, uh, and then it's it's kind of like a bit like if you do a Rangers or Celtic game, 
you, you, you know you're going to win the league pretty much, but then it's all about how you do in Europe. So, yeah, fascinating <laughs> stuff for everyone. Can I, can I just drop a Lit- Littman and stat? Um, Please do. Course. I think he's, I think, um, he's the only player to play international football in four different decades. Oh, wow. That is pretty impressive. 80s. 80, 80, you know, he played in like 89, obviously 90s, 2000s. And then he, I think he played twice in 2010. Brilliant. What a player. How old would he have been when he retired then, Andy? Pretty, fairly old? Or? Oh, geez. Thick with. Yeah. Uh, he I'll let you. I don't honestly know. Yeah, 39 or 40, I guess. <laughs> what uh, a player. What a player. And an absolute legend. He was a great player, wasn't he? Superb. Yeah. So, so, Jeff, what's so, your player of the week then? So, yeah, I, I did. Mine is very similar to Ian's. Um, I was going to I was going to seek some pronunciation advice from from Andy. What how do you pronounce the team that Manchester United played? Uh, it's Bakashir. Oh, so It's quite easy, really, then, when when you know. So um, my football moment of the week was the fact that the moment where Manchester United have an attacking corner, they the ball is cleared by Bash. Bash Bashakir to their centre forward in in their own half, who doesn't have a, a, an opposing player within 15 yards of him, and he runs unchallenged to the edge of the penalty area at the other end of the pitch and scores. That for me is probably one of the worst pieces of defending I've ever seen in my life, including several cobblers matches, and just fills me with hope that you know the cobblers aren't that bad. You know, if you never see them concede goals as terrible as that. Well, you do, of course you do, but um, never to that level. Uh, so that just filled me with hope and joy. And in actual fact, you don't see many Sunday league sides concede goals like that. If, if Ian and I were playing up at goals on a Monday night when we conceded a goal that was as bad as that, we we, we wouldn't speak to each other for weeks. Yeah, I tell you what, guess- that wouldn't have the cobblers under Colin Coldwood, would it? That goal, leaving someone back for a corner every time. He would have, yeah. he would have had someone marking Denver Bar, wouldn't he? <laughs> it would be very much <laughs> several players, no doubt. Luke Chambers would have been back there. Yeah. The world of football seemed to be aghast that Denver Bar was still playing. Like a really good football, <laughs> they were like Denver Bar scored. It's great to see some terrible defending. It just, it does give you hope, Jeff. You're exactly right. Yeah. My football week is, you know, a bit more domestic. Uh, it's Wimbledon's return to Plough Lane, which I just think mm-hmm. is just a great story after nearly 30 years of you know, being homeless to an extent. I'm, uh, I managed to go down there this week. I had the sort of honour to go down there and speak to a few Wimbledon fans. And I won't sort of go on too much about the, the ground itself. It's like about 9,000 seater. It's not completely finished yet, but it's going to be a nice stadium. But I just I was really pleased that, you know, for new builds, they're often a bit sterile or you know, mm. in a in an area with not much character. And this is like really been built in an industrial estate. These like wagons going past with all big bits of stone in and stuff. And they're just like a pub called the Corner Pin, which used to be an, an old Wimbledon pub, which is still there. And the, the ground's right next to that. They've got a sort of craft or brewery right on the side where they're going to invite fans in when it when everyone's left back, uh, you know, allowed back in. So it's going to be real buzz around it. paid for by some swanky flats which is often grounds are these days which isn't the best thing but i just really feel that that ground is going to be probably one of the best away days for teams at our level so i'm really looking forward to 
hopefully going back there as a fan. It's going to be a um, view from some of those flats. Yeah, yeah. I think some of them you'll be able to see in the pitch if you're that way inclined. Yeah. Or as I remember, the fans at Barnet used to have their windows <laughs> looking over the pitch. And I remember watching, I've told you this before, a woman watching when the game was on, the family was just pottering around and they just couldn't be bothered to watch a couple of Barnet. I thought that was very classy. I really enjoyed that. Can I just say, Tom, as well, I had a quick look. I, I've just got this perverse interest in MK Don's fans and their forum. And I was having a look on there because they've got a section dedicated to what, you know, AFC Wimbledon did next. And they're yeah. like a cult. You know, they'll always find, there's not that many of them, but they come up with some strange things. And I don't know, for everything that Donald Trump and his supporters have done, I still think I like the people who are out, standing outside those um, polling count places like protesting, trying to get them to stop counting. I think I like them more than MK Don's fans. <laughs> <laughs> That's the measure of how, how much you dislike them. <laughs> what I don't understand with MK yeah. Don's fans is there's some of them that are my age and older. And I was thinking, I always think, well, who were you supporting when you were 15? <laughs> now then, it's a real pleasure to have our next guest on the line. For fans of the Price of Football podcast, like Andy and myself, it's writer and comedian turned football finance enthusiast, Kevin Hunter-Day. How are you doing, Kevin? Um, I'm very well, thank you. Um, enthusiast is probably putting it a bit, a bit far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, increasingly knowledgeable about, but far from expert. Yes, yeah, so, um, it's a strange thing. I, I, it's a podcast that I love doing, but I wish didn't have to exist, basically. Yeah, exactly. So you've got a few... Good news stories on them, particularly stuff like the Newcastle, you know, trust doing all their good stuff in the community. And then you have a hell of a lot of bad news stories. So I guess it's a bit up and down in terms of your emotions when you finish the podcast. We we try to highlight good news stories where we can. And, and increasingly, Tom, the good news stories come from fans, basically. It's fans initiatives and, and people like Marcus Rashford. And yeah. Kieran and I Kieran and I are both very, very keen to to let the world know that the image of football that many people have of it is is incorrect. You know, footballers are not all overpaid prima donnas. There's, there are one or two of those in the Premier League, but there are one or two of those in banks and legal companies as well. And for the most part, footballers are people who are lucky enough to have a talent but love what they're doing. And, and most of them don't get paid that much for it. And a lot of them end their careers with another 50 years ahead of them struggling for money the same as the rest of us do and it's that's that's why we really try and focus on some of the good news stories but unfortunately the good news stories are always outweighed by the bad and and Kieran and I are always kind of talking about that happy day in the future when we don't need to exist when football governance finally sorts itself out when the EFL finally sorts its fit and proper person test out when the money that's washing around football is finally equally distributed and we won't have any stories, um, which will be a sad day, but it'll be a great day for football, basically. It's a, it's a strange pod because I, the producer Guy, who we talk about on on, on the pod quite a lot uh, and his strange inability to pay us anything for doing it, um, he approached me this time last year, so we've just done our hundredth. So he approached me in October to say that he had this idea for a football finance podcast. And basically, my response was, "How did you get my number?" Um, uh, and I, I just couldn't see that it would be of interest to anybody, to be perfectly honest. And I, I told him that, um, and then he said, "No, we, we, we think it will work." I've, I, I know this guy called Kieran Maguire, who's an expert in football finance. We just need, 
basically a, a financial idiot to host it. And I said, well, you've come to the right person if you need an idiot. Um, and it, 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 it just started from there because I fi- I'm, I'm legendarily bad with finances. Even uh, I'm a middle-aged man. Uh, I'm not allowed to have a credit card anymore because I'm so bad with, with finances. But and, and we did the first couple and they were really interesting. And then there was an issue because at the end of episode four, Kieran finally revealed that he was a Brighton fan, which was oh, if he dear. if he if oh dear was partly my my reaction. It was a longer version of oh dear because um, I genuinely would have thought twice about doing it if I'd known he was a Brighton fan beforehand. But we'd we'd got on so well uh, that I of course I couldn't think of stopping. But that unfortunately, or fortunately, if you, from whatever point of view you're looking at it. We our start coincided with the the demise of Berry Football Club, mm. and basically I think what happened was people latched on to our righteous anger and our indignation about what was happening to Berry, and because Kieran was able to give us full details of what that man Steve Dale was doing to the club and how he'd come into the club, and I think people just connected to the fact that we were so furious about this and so keen to bring it to the world, and then unfortunately realising that it, it wasn't just happening at Bury, it was happening all over English football and all over European football and all over world football. So I think fans of every club just started to realise this pod was out there and also fans of every club listened to it, praying that their club's not mentioned on it, basically, because it's a good week for your club if you don't get mentioned on Price of Football. Definitely. I think one of the beauties of it is that there is that, almost double act thing going on in terms of you're a comedian uh with yourself and kieran that kieran is i think he's got an accountancy background he's very good with the numbers and you know really getting to the the heart of the matter financially and then you you've got more of a layman's understanding of things from a, a genuine football fans perspective and andy would you say that's the the real beauty of, of the price of football podcast definitely yeah um there's obviously been a, a sort of uh there's a, there's a space in the in the market um, for, I don't know, yeah, for, for sort of um, making it digestible because, um, sure. you know, uh, sort of financial podcast. I mean, Kevin said he's so bad with money that he's not allowed to have a credit card anymore. Uh, I could, I could trump that. Um, so I'm, I'm singing from the same song sheet there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just a good listen with a, a little bit, you know, light and shade. I think you would say is, is the key to that podcast, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a really good listen. Yeah, we tried. The, the thing with the double act thing is that it's it's genuine. I, th- I think if you try and create those things, if you sit down and have a meeting and say let's 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 try and do a double act thing, it doesn't work. But when it when it happens organically, and the thing is that I am genuinely surprised by what Kieran tells me. I, I've got this concept that I've come up with, which is professional laziness, because I I, <laughs> I think if I research the subject beforehand as well as Kieran, then it it doesn't work because I need to be getting the information at the same time as the the listeners are but also there is a genuine surprise because I, I was actually quite few I mean I'm a comedian yeah I'm a, I work in showbiz I've I've woken up in skips in Edinburgh in the morning with strange people I've done stuff but it turns out that the the accountant in this process has, has tra- basically traveled the world having relationships with various supermodels and glamorous women and and doing and he's a teetotaler he's never touched drugs in his life and yet He's he's had this, and I don't get. I'm really cross that an accountant has <laughs> has, has had this lifestyle. And some of his stories, because he 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 worked as um as an, an official receiver and administrator at some stage as well, which that's one of his areas of expertise, 
you know, and he, he had to he had to run a Blackpool nightclub that went into administration. So he ran <laughs> he ran that for three months and fell foul of some local Blackpool drug dealers and had to sort that out and was was offered was offered all sorts of things in kind by local professional ladies. And then he ran a sex shop in Brighton. And he, he he worked basically worked for the Russian mafia in Moscow for a couple of years till he got run out of the country. And it's 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 it just it makes me laugh because because we're both we're both similar similar ages. We're both you won't believe this to look at us, but we're both in our in our fifties and we're both from South London. Funnily enough, which again it really annoys me that he well if he supported his local club Mill, that'd be just as bad. But we, we're, we're both we're both hopeless romantics about football. Not. Not yeah. in a, not in a nostalgic way, and it's I don't I I, I was watching football games in the seventies and the eighties, and I know how bad it was. Not just the football, but the way we were treated by the press, by the police, by the football yeah. authorities. I I know how bad things were. I don't yearn for those days at all. I still I will happily watch the big match revisited over and over, and I'll talk to anybody about football history. But I think football is 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 better now, but. It, it needs to be fairer, and that's we sure. both have this romantic notion of football clubs being at the heart of a community. Like when I was growing up, I learned my social history and my my geography of England through through loving football. It's yeah. like you know, I didn't, I knew that Luton Town made hats. I knew that in Walsall, that's where saddles were made because of the, you know, I knew that Northampton was the centre of the shoe industry, but only because. I knew that through Northampton's nickname and their badge. And uh, you know, for me, football clubs represent working class communities very, very well. And I, I'm, I love history and I love the history of football. And it's been, it's fascinating to, to look at the history of football clubs. And it, it really, really upsets Kieran and I when people don't understand where football clubs lie in the community. Like, you know, Berry Football Club disappears, and it's not just that some players are put out of work and some some coaches are put out of work and some staff are put out of work. It's the whole community suffers. The you know, cafes and bars shut down because they haven't got football fans to to go into them on a, on a Saturday or a Tuesday night. Printers shut down. All the kids who are working cash in hand on a Saturday, they lose their money. And and not only that, but people don't understand the the fit, the mental well being. I mean, it's it's a strange thing to say, if, you know, about. A, a club that's not particularly successful, but there are tens of thousands of people who will be devastated that Berry Football Club doesn't exist anymore. It's the same as you two. If Northampton Town didn't exist anymore, Palace uh, in 2010 were five minutes away from folding, five minutes away from folding. And then, and you know, for all the talk of Phoenix clubs, there yeah, that would be fun. A Phoenix club would be fun. But we we nearly went out of business. And yeah. When that didn't happen, I'm not. I'm not ashamed to say I was working. I was writing and I got news for you that day. When the news came through that we'd been saved, I went to the toilet and I cried for ten minutes because the thought of there not being a Crystal Palace football club for me to for me to support. And it's not, as you two will know, it's not the, the it's not just the game. It's it's what my wife says. It's going to the same pub and talking the same bollocks to the same people at the same yeah. time for yeah. 20 years and then going yeah. back after the game and doing exactly the same thing. That's what's important about it. And that's what Kieran and I try and get across that all these, all these f financial facts and figures we talk about, they're not just financial facts and figures. They're, they're affecting the livelihood of people and the mental well-being of football fans. So, so yeah. that was a long answer to a, to a, a short <laughs> question. 
let's get on to your book now. A bit, okay. a bit of a lighter chat about your your lovely new book that's come out. It's done really well. It's called um, Who Are You? 92 Football Clubs and Why You Should Support Them. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about the book, Kevin? Yeah, I, I've been obsessed with, with reading and books. My dad taught me to read when I was four. Uh, uh, in his words, because it might come in handy, son, you never know, which, and it, it, it did. And it used to annoy my mum, who's Irish, it used to drive her up the wall when I was a kid that I wasn't out in the street uh, climbing trees and fighting people like I should be. I was I, I, I was indoors reading, basically, and I, and I read books and I read football magazines and I was perfectly happy doing it. So I've always been obsessed with books. I've always wanted to write one, but for a long time, even despite what I do for a living, I had this kind of imposter syndrome where... I thought, yeah, I'll never be able to get, write a book. Who's going to ask me to write a book? But I had the idea a long time ago, and this is true, I talk about it in the book. I, I came home from a, a Palace game one evening, uh, about midnight, obviously, because you have to spend as long in the pub after most Palace games as you can. But and my son, who was eight then, um, was still awake, uh, which I thought was a bit odd. Uh, and my wife was sort of looking at me anxiously. So I, I said, yeah, everything all right? And he said, Dad, I've got something really important to ask you. So I said, yes. He said, can I support Blackburn? So I said, well, when you grow up and you've got your own house, you can support who you want. But in the meantime, put your palace pyjamas on, get underneath the palace duvet and say goodnight <laughs> and sell us the cat. Yeah. Um, but then I said to him, why, why Blackburn? He said, look, Dad, you never come home happy from football. I said, well, that's partly the point. There's no... You, you don't sign up for fun. It's character building. Do you know what I mean? But he said, I, I just, I don't want to support Palace. I want to support a, 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 a successful team. And I've looked at all the teams in the league and talked to mum and Blackburn. She reckons you don't hate Blackburn because it was after a Blackburn game that you told her you loved her for the first time. It's like, oh, clever mummy. Um, so I said, it wasn't after a, a Blackburn game. I was, it was after a Blackburn game. It was the morning after. I wasn't drunk because she said I was hungover because it was an away game and the train broke down on the way back. But it, it just got me thinking then, I, the idea sort of stayed in my head that every football fan has this irrational dislike of, of other clubs. And, and for a long time, I thought, that I'd love to write about this and I'd love to incorporate it into a history of football. And I knew I was onto a winner when I was talking to a mate of mine. I was working on 8 out of 10 cats. And I was talking to a chap called John Smith, who's the nicest bloke you could ever He's the nicest bloke you could ever meet. Uh, and he's a West Ham fan, home and away. And, and I told him about the idea. He went, oh, well, you make sure you stick it to Oldham. So I said, what well, he said. <laughs> and he, he explained to me why West Ham really, really hate Oldham. Because they... they was it the 6 0 Yeah, it was a 6 0 But also they um, they scored a goal in extra time in the last game of the season, which meant they were champions and West Ham were. So I thought if the nicest man in the world gets so angry about Oldham then I've definitely got an idea. And in the start of last year, through sheer economic necessity, I, it's, yeah, I'm freelance and I was having one of those periods when there wasn't a lot of work going on. My wife had had, had to give up uh, work. She was working on Panto. She had to stop that because her dad was ill. So I thought I need, I need to try and find a way of getting some money in, hopefully. And, and I started writing the book and uh, luckily Bloomsbury commissioned it and we, we got it written and the idea was that it would come out when England had just won the Euros and people would be so excited about football. But the, the, the idea of the club, so I wanted the book to be about those strange rivalries that people have, not just with their local rivals, but with every club. And Because I could think of a reason for not liking every club and some of them were very stupid. It's like being really cold at Carlisle. That's, I'll never forget Carlisle for making me really cold for you know and, and we lost I wanted yeah. to tap into that level of 
of, of, of fandom that, for, that people who don't like football simply won't understand. Yeah, you know, they simply won't understand why the mere mention of Dave Swindlehurst's perm will still get a laugh around the table <laughs> in our pub. The mere mention of the, the, the second half, the Sheffield United away game, it's so foggy. We we could, we didn't see a thing in the second. We just spent the, the whole of the second half chatting to the Sheffield United goalkeeper and to two really angry coppers who thought the game should have been called off and they should be at home in the nice warm. You know, it's it's that <laughs> level of thing. It's it's that level of football fandom that I wanted to tap into. But it's also a proper history of each club. So there's a, there's there's something about each club in there. Before I then talk about my relationship with that club, whether it's a a particular game or or the fact that you know Shrewsbury, for example. Um, on the big match, and I love match of the day, and I worked on it for ten seasons. But for me, and like a lot of people, my favourite program was the big match because that was the, the the London football program, and and Brian Moore is still one of my idols. But but once a year, they would show highlights from around the country, and and every now and again Shrewsbury would come up. It was always be like the third match, and maybe it would be Shrewsbury against Orient or something. But yeah. Brian Moore used to go get hysterical about the coracle behind the, the ground at Shrewsbury. Yeah, yeah. The fact that this guy had to go out in a little boat. And the first time I went to Shrewsbury as a 17-year-old, I couldn't wait to see the... We were so excited about the coracle. And it's the same like going to, when we used to go to Fulham, away games at Fulham, when you could still see the river. And there was a, a, a race going on, a training race. And these people were astonished because the, the game was so shit that all the Palace fans were just watching this race and we all went absolutely mental when this boat won because they had red and blue shirts on. And it's like, it's that level of, of, of it. But it's just fascinated me, the fact, I mean, I always thought that 92 clubs was too many for a small country anyway, but it, it turns out at one stage there were about 400 clubs. But the, yeah. the, diff, the difficulty is tying down the history of any club because I, I played, I was the world's worst Sunday football. I was a shocking Sunday football. I was, I was keen, but I was so slow and... I, I, people thought I was dirty. I wasn't. I was just slow. But I, I played for five different Sunday league teams, but they were essentially the same team. It's just that we, you know, we'd move to a different pub, or we'd get a new sponsor or a new kit. But they were the same team. But we never thought to write down the history of any of those clubs because we knew we would never become a Premier League team, and it's the same for a yeah. lot of clubs. So, so tying down the actual history was really, really fascinating. You know, I, it was a joy to write. And the Northampton chapter was one of my favourites because, again, it's one of the things that Brian Moore used to be obsessed about. The fact is that you know, your ground only had three sides. I mean, that <laughs> that just astonished him. And and as a kid, you pick up on any fact. that Because as a kid, you know, it's like between, I think between eight and 12 is the most joyful time of being a football fan. There was a, there was a time when if you if you threw any club name at me, I'd tell you the the ground, the manager, the players, the kit, the, the badge, the nickname. Like you knew all these facts. And there was a time it, I was fascinated. If, if you found something new and you think, oh, there's a football club with with only three sides to it. So that's you start off from a bit. And then, of course, there's two things about Northampton. And the first one, and I'm really, really sorry, but my idol was George Best. So I had to write, I had to write about that game. I, I really had to write about that. But then yeah. researching that was brilliant because looking for interviews from some of the Northampton players, Especially the, the the one who scored, it was like it was the the, the you know it's brilliant. I scored a goal against Man United. Unfortunately, they scored eight. But see, the <laughs> the reaction of the chairman was was fantastic because I didn't notice. It was a brilliant quote from the chairman saying that they they completely let down the whole the whole town, the whole county. That was um, his name is Eric Northover. Yeah. That, that just I just thought that was brilliant. And but then 
looking into the history of, of Northampton, I didn't realise that Herbert Chapman had been at Northampton, for example, and had, yeah. and had started some of his brilliant football experiments there. And then, of course, I'd heard of Walter Toll, and I knew that he played for Northampton. But then you mm. research. So the second part of the, 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 the chapter is all about Walter Toll um, and what an amazing man he was and how it's it's shameful. And Northampton have, have um, served his memory brilliantly. I think what Northampton have done around the memory of Walter Toll, who not only was the second black footballer, but you know, the first black officer to lead white soldiers into battle in, in World War One, was killed in battle. Um, his life was nearly saved by Leicester's goalkeeper at the time because they were in his footballer's battalion. So so the second part of the, the, the book is about is about Walter Toll, basically, and how proud football should be, or Northampton should be of Walter Toll, but also how shameful it is that football doesn't celebrate Walter Toll more widely. The fact that, you know, Tony Collins, who was the manager of Rochdale, why, do, why does football not, is not telling that story beyond me? And yet, mm. The other thing I love about Northampton is the kit. I'm, I'm a, I've got such a kit fit. I love football kits. And your kit was always a bit different. The white one with the, the maroon circles, I, I used <laughs> to love. Any, any kit that was slightly different, I yeah, used to love. Yeah, that was a nice one. So there's all these, so that's part of the book as well. It's not just all these strange reasons you have for for disliking a team it's all these strange reasons you have for actually not I would never admit out loud that I like any other team because I, I, of course I don't really but there's always teams that you kind of have a soft spot for it's like in, in Scotland I still love Dunfermline because as a kid there was a brilliant picture in this shoot annual of a Dunfermline player who'd been tackled and he, he was in such agony that he was biting the shin pad of a St Mirren player um, <laughs> I, I, I genuinely thought that was the best football picture I'd ever seen in my life. So, so since then, you kind of you look out for Dunfermline's results, and it's the same. It, yeah. it, it's the same for every. You find a reason to to kind of not dislike any other team, and I think it's brilliant that we can talk about Eddie McGoldrick. And and the fact is as well, one of the reasons I love football so much. Now, I'm sorry, I'm aware, I do tend to give essay answers to short questions. I apologise for that. But one of the things I love so much is that Eddie McGoldrick was a brilliant footballer. He's a brilliant footballer. But we, that's that's not what we talk about. We talk about his moustache is what we talk about because it, it was a thing of joy yeah. and, and he knows that as well and because and, he's, he's still involved with Palace and we've had him on on our Palace pod a couple of times and we in fact the second time we had him on was because we couldn't broadcast half the stories he told us the first time um, and I, Ed, he was a massive comedy fan as well so I got to know him quite well when he was at Palace he was a he was big mates with Sean Hughes God rest his soul but and it, Ed, he's a he's an intelligent funny yeah, occasionally abrasive man who was a really, really good footballer. I mean, he was brilliant for us as a sweeper. He played sweeper at some stage, um, yeah. and he, he he referred to it, he mistakenly referred to himself as Berezi once in the Croydon Advertiser, and I'm yes. sure he was joking, but he shouldn't have made that. <laughs> so that's that's what. That's, so those are the things that you remember. We remember his moustache, and oh yeah, Franco Berezi's at it again, is he? And that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what, and that's what football's brilliant. That's it's those sort of idiot idiot details that. Yeah, I, I would be mystifying to somebody else that that I love about it, and I I'm I do I I love it, and I love like yeah I love talking to you about football. I'll talk. I'll unfortunately I just realised the time, so I can't be here all day. But <laughs> I, I, you know what I mean. It, and it's like if if I was asked to do the Tranmere podcast next week, I would happily do that because yeah, I like and I like learning about other clubs, and I like yeah, you know, just. I love your energy and your enthusiasm that you have, not just for Northampton Town, but for football in general. It helps when it turns out that we pretty much agree on how football should be run and how it isn't run. But 
at the same time, I don't think there are many football fans who would radically disagree with anything that we've said today about about football, about football's economics and about football's business. But listen, um, Kevin, it's been really fun talking to you and Andy and um, sort of keep in touch as well, because, um, you know, we never know our, when our paths will cross again. We can have a bit more Eddie McGoldrick talk. We've got a few more stories to, um, to yeah. tell you, including the one where he went to the... Uh, Palace in his sponsored car from Northampton. I think it had Bell's whiskey written on the side. It was some sort of like Ford or something. And then the Palace players were like, Ian Wright and that were like, what is all, what is this? What is this? Do you remember that, Andy? How does that work? Yeah, he had a couple of meetings in the space of a few days. It was like David Pleat, wasn't it, at the uh, holiday in Melton Mowbray on the Friday night. And then he went to see Ron Nodes on the Sunday. Great, great days. Great guys. <laughs> right, it's been lovely talking to you both. And um, you know, if we if we ever need to get you on Price of Football to talk Northampton, I hope we never do. But uh yes, I hopefully we'll talk again. It's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Right then, let's move on to FA Cup round one action and preview Oxford City versus the Cobblers. I'm pleased to be joined by Joshua Stewart, who works with the Hoops Media team. How's it going, Josh? You looking forward to Monday's game? Yeah, yeah, it's going well. Uh, I know for, for a fact the squad are really excited about it there, definitely. You know, it's a day that for, for their calendars that they're probably going to remember for a long time, you know, especially for a club of this size. So it's going to be a great occasion, whatever happens. It's just a shame, obviously, with the COVID-19 situation, no fans, because it's a fairly local game. It's not a local derby particularly, but it's a, it's a game we would have probably brought quite a lot of fans to. And it would have, your fans would have turned up in, in numbers too. So it would have been a really, probably been a sellout or, or close to it, I would have thought. So it's just a bit of a shame on that one. But um, tell us a little bit about, Oxford City FC, because our fans, you know, will have played, we've played Oxford United a lot of times. We're, we're regular sparring partners, but Oxford City go under the radar a little bit. Could you tell us something, for instance, about Oxford City that people might not know, a little fun fact or something? Um, well, Oxford City were the first team to be managed by Bobby Moore, uh, the World Cup winner, and Harry Redknapp was his assistant manager at a point. So, you know, that's straight away, right at the beginning of the club's history, that's quite a bit of a um, pedigree uh, in the coaching staff so that's quite a good thing and then so yeah would that have been in the when the 70s maybe after they print they yeah finished? yeah early 70s or around actually mid 70s i'd say yeah that's pretty amazing i might have to look into that one so it was bobby moore and harry redknapp together uh yes at a point yeah bobby moore started first he was the manager then harry redknapp came a bit uh came over i think in his second or third season okay well, that's pretty cool that's a, yeah that's a uh Two big names there. Um, I looked that the club was actually formed in 1893, so older than the Cobblers, actually. A, a rich history for the football club. Yeah, um, I mean, the club's been around for ages and throughout the entire history of it, over the hundred and something years, um, it's always been a huge community club. It's always put on events, it's always had clubs, it's always been out there, you know, in times of trouble, in times of joy. It's always been for the local community. It's such a nice place to work. So, yeah, it's a good place to be. It looks like that now, actually. I was just going through the club website and you've got actually got an under-23 team, which is quite unusual. We haven't even got one of those. Um, and various other club clubs and teams going on. So, yeah, like a bit of a community hub. Uh, yeah, I think the I think in total we have over 60 different clubs of different ages, uh, women's teams, men's teams. Uh, you've got walking football, you've got futsal. Then you've also got netball courts, you've got tennis courts. There's a huge uh, amount of activity going on at the club all the time. And it's just a place where the local people can just come and, you know, enjoy a bit of sport and just get to know each other. And it's such a great place to be in. Everyone's so friendly. Um, this is my first season uh, with the media team and everyone's been 
so great with me and I've just felt I fit it in perfectly. So it's such a good place to be. That sounds really good. So it's not just a football hub. There's other sports going on as well. So it's just a yeah, really good facility and you know, community asset, I guess. Yeah, it is. Ed, but for sure, you can't uh, underestimate how big it is to the local community when you've got the um, school competitions are held there. You've got the fact that the under 15s actually play on the same pitch as the first team. It's something yeah. that when you're in that team, it means so much to you to say, oh, I played on the same pitch as the first team. But that probably comes down to, uh, partly to, due to the artificial pitch, which we'll move on to later. Um, let's just quickly talk about your start to the season in the league before we get onto the cup action. Currently eighth in National League South. Haven't played too many games because of all the COVID problems. Uh, you played four games, I think. You've won two, drawn one and lost one. Um, so a pretty strong start. Was the, the last game a defeat was against Hampton and Richmond? Is that right? Uh, yes. I, yeah, unfortunately, that is correct. But a good, well, still a strong start to the season, wasn't it? You've won two. You're pretty happy with that, yeah. I should think. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, you know, the squad is definitely you know, beating Bath on the first game of the season. Bath, obviously, uh, you know, uh, tipped for quite a strong season. So that was, that was a great start. And then managing to get a draw at Chalmersford and then beating Tombridge 4-0. It was just an incredible start. And everyone just seemed firing on all cylinders and... Unfortunately, you know, a little bit of a step backwards again on Saturday against Hampton and Richmond. But, you know, no season is without its faults. And so the squad is still very uh, confident. It's still working really hard. And they're all itching to get back out there and uh, rectify on Saturday. And, of course, you're fighting on two fronts as well. You're in the FA Cup and the league, which um, is pretty good. And you reached the FA Cup round one proper to play Northampton by beating Weymouth. It seemed like a quite a good game, that one. You won 3-2 in almost the last minute, didn't you? Uh, yeah, it was. We went up 2-0 within the first 15 minutes. And, you know, everyone's thinking, oh, oh wow, this, this is brilliant. Uh, then they brought it back to 2-2. And it was, everyone thought it was heading to penalties. But in the 89th minute, I think it was, uh, Louis Hall popped up from left back in the centre of the box and managed to volley in. No idea what he was doing there, but I'm glad he was. And, yeah, it was a really... Really dramatic finish to a great game in the end. For if there was a neutral watch now, they would have loved it. But yeah, it was a great game and a great win. So in fact, that could suggest that you're actually got, um, Oxford have got quite a lot of fighting spirit and a little bit of experience with getting through to this, uh, you know, round one proper. You've had to fight your way through, so that might stand Oxford in good stead, really. Um, yeah, uh, obviously Oxford have been in the first round proper of the FA Cup for the last four seasons running. Uh, they've beaten Colchester. They drew a uh, three-three away with uh, at Tranmere. They narrowly lost to Notts County three-two, conceding the third goal in the 95th minute. So they, they have obviously proven themselves to be again and again someone that not not to be taken lightly. They are a serious threat in this competition, and um, yeah, again that, that spirit against Weymouth it just showed that this is a team which will stop running at all. And it's just such a as a fan and as a media person, it's just brilliant to see that. That no one leaves anything out. That everything is left on the pitch. They never uh, leave anyone behind in the dressing room. And I think that's a really good atmosphere to have at a club. Yeah, I don't think Keith Curl would, uh, the Cobblers manager, would like to be listening to that because <laughs> I think he needs <laughs> to face a team like that like a hole in the head because our form, although we've got some pretty decent players and, you know, on paper we should win, our form is pretty patchy and uh, we've had a bit of a break towards this game. So if you're if you're gearing up for the game and you, you turn up and play like that, it's going to give us a bit of a headache. Um, let's talk about your manager, actually, David Oldfield, who's an old school campaigner. I remember seeing him play, play for Luton and Peterborough. Boo. Um, uh, fun fact, he was actually named as caretaker manager of Oxford United 
after Ian Atkins' dismissal in 2004, who was a um, uh, a big manager for Northampton back in the day. So he's uh, yeah, he's got a bit bit of pedigree in management. He's obviously trying to work f- with all due respect from the bottom up in terms of his management management career. What do you think of his, uh, David Oldfield as a manager? Um, I mean, obviously, like you said, he's got the pedigree and quality behind him after, you know, he's into a match at Oxford. I think he also managed Peterborough for a bit. Um, so he obviously has that quality at quite high levels. Um, and as a as a, a manager himself, seeing him in action, he's very passionate. He's very uh, devoted. There isn't, there's nothing the squad can't go to him where he's constantly thinking about different tactics, different ways of playing, adapting to any situation that comes up. And he is huge on teamwork and morale. And I think that is such an important thing because no, if you go back through goodness how many years of football, no team has ever done well with a with a negative attitude in the dressing room. And he has reinforced that again and again that the team is all there together. We're going through this with a smile on our face. And even just you know, if you ignore all of that tactically, he's a very good manager. If you uh, managers can come into the league such as Vanuatu National League South and implement their own style almost straight away and see quite some early early success. So I think that in itself has to have some credit. And considering he was appointed as Oxford City manager at the very tail end of last season before he got called off, he technically had a 256-day unbeaten streak before the league's, uh, before his first loss. So that's quite impressive if you ignore that. We didn't actually play any games between that point. Yeah, he just seems to be... He's been around the block a bit. He's he's had experience at you know teams like Oxford United and you know a bit a bit of Peter Rich trying to learn his his craft as a manager. I think he's been utilised as an assistant manager as well, so he's quite trusted in that respect. Um, it all sort of points to a fairly competitive game on Monday because Keith Cole likes players that are competitive and he's big on the dressing room dynamic too. So what I'll actually really love is a an old fashioned blood and thunder game I would I would love that really obviously we don't want any injuries or anything like that but just a really highly competitive tussle you know I'd, I'm not really big on other other you know Northampton fans would, wouldn't agree with me they they probably want a 5-0 walkover but I just like the games that are fairly close obviously we want Northampton to win but just a really highly competitive game um let's move on to your tactics and David Oldfield's go-to tactics I know he's experimented or you know played with five at the back with wing backs it was actually quite similar to Keith Carr would you say that the five at the back is is go-to, you know, scenario? Um, I think it really does depend on the opposition they're playing. Uh, one thing that I have to praise David Oldfield for is his adaptability, where if he knows he's playing against someone, a team that potentially has, you know, they're very solid defensively, he'll go to a four at the back. If he knows that they're, uh, he's playing a team that's very good on the counter, he might go to a five at the back. So it is really hard to say what he will go for because he is constantly adapting to the opposition while still very impressively managing to keep the same style of the players. The players are all sticking to the same style regardless of formations and regardless of where they're playing. So I think that has to be given credit. So I, as much as I'd like to, I really could not give you a prediction of what uh, team you're going to be able to face on Monday. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite interesting, actually, because we played teams. Uh, we played Milton Keynes in the week and the Milton Keynes manager said that we just basically put a lot of players behind the ball and he just found Northampton really difficult to break down. So in that respect, Oldfield might actually say, look, let's go, for, let's go for a back four and try and open them up a bit more creatively. Or he might just say, let's match them and try and keep it tight. So keep an eye out for that on Monday. In terms of players to look out for, I've been going through your roster a little bit and you've got a fair smattering of 
football league experience. Um, you can sort of explain to me about some of your players, but for instance, James Roberts, the forward, uh, stood out a little bit for me because not only has he scored <clears throat> a few goals already this season, he came through Oxford United, so he's got a fairly good pedigree in terms of his schooling. Uh, obviously, the local, the local club. Is he one to look out for this the forward? Um, I mean, yeah, I think so far this entire season, but you can't point to one player and say they haven't been fantastic. It is such a good team atmosphere. And everyone is performing at the top level. So it is really hard to say there's one out and out player. But James Roberts obviously scored six goals in six games. Last year, he scored 27 goals for Spennymore Town. He's definitely, you know, he's a he's a threat in front of goal and he's got so much energy and passion. He just never stops running. And there's always... You can never relax when the ball's with him because he can just create something out of nothing. But again, he's not the only one. They have Elliot Bennion, who's yep. quite he's a veteran striker. He got promoted with Torquay. So, you know, that, that kind of experience can also be useful in games like this. You've got Harvey Bradbury, who also came through Oxford United. He's got he's finding his scoring boots. So it is, you know, Oxford do have a lot of um options to match whatever whatever Northampton throw at them. So it should be a good game. I remember Elliot Benyon. He played for of Torquay, uh, the same as Joe Osler, your captain. They both played for Torquay in their time. And uh, Elliot Benyon was a, a useful player in his time. I'm still surprised he's still going, but he, maybe he was one of those guys that when I saw him, he was actually young and he's just, he's, I think he's about 33 now, but he just comes with experience. And they're the sort of players that you're going to need if the going gets tough and maybe have a little bit of nails to your more inexperienced players. Um, Harvey Bradbury, let's not forget, is Lee Bradbury's son. He used to play for Portsmouth for absolute guy he was a very strong striker you know he was um really uh, you know strong combative forward and if his son's anything like him or has got any of his you know ability he'll definitely be one to look out for Harvey Bradbury um yeah Joe Osler your captain like I said played for a Torquay and he just seems a bit of an experienced head would you say oh god yeah um he recently did an interview with me after a match and he straight he, he was very measured he knew exactly what you can't get too excited at this point in the season. He's very experienced. He's been around the block. He knows what to, what it feels like in the FA Cup first round. He knows what it feels like in the qualifying rounds. He's such an important person to have in the side and in the squad. And so he started the season brilliantly as well. He's been absolutely brilliant at the back, along with everyone in the back line. And even in the midfield, everyone's defending well. But he is a very vocal leader and he will make sure that the team aren't complacent. They, but he will also make sure they don't back down and just roll over to Northampton. So he will be absolutely key to uh, Oxford uh, on Monday. You need those old heads because it's quite easy to get quite giddy in games like that for the players, especially young players and the inexperienced ones. So you need that older head just to like, you know, keep it cool because Northampton are, you know, are you are you a full-time team or are you, you know, some of your players semi-pro or are you full-time? Uh, we're a semi-professional team. So we would most, if not all, of the players have day jobs and football is just something they do on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays. Yeah, so you'll have certain players, maybe the younger ones, are not quite so experienced in these sort of scenarios, whereas Northampton full-time teams, they just sort of take games as they come and they just keep a level head. So it's good for people like Osler to just, uh, you know, keep a, a lid on things and be interesting to see, uh, you know, his experience and how it pans out on Monday. Um, let's talk a little bit about your 4G pitch because uh, obviously the Hunt and Planet grass pitch and it's going to be something that we're not used to apart from a training scenario so playing full full games in uh you know competitive FA Cup level is going to be something new to us um do you think it's going to play in Oxford's favour to have that artificial pitch 
Um, I, I wouldn't say it's fair to say that whatever result happens will be down to the pitch. But, I, you know, Oxford are obviously coming into this as underdogs, quite understandably. But, and if there is an advantage, they will make sure of it. But, uh, you know, Northampton haven't really, you know, they're not a ground, pa- as far as we can tell, they're not a ground passing team. So we think that the, a different surface will have a huge effect on the way they play. So if there is an effect, it'll be very minimal and whatever happens will be down to the players and tactics rather than something like the pitch. So we've Northampton have started to mix it up in the last few games. We have got players that can pass. It's just that Keith Cowell likes to play a more direct, just get in the opposition's faces and just force mistakes and just be absolute pains, basically. That's our style of play. So it's not that we can't pass if we need to. It'd be interesting to see how the ball bounces on a you know the 4G pitch compared to the grass. You know, bounce if we go more direct. But yeah, I just think there must be some slight advantage to you just because you're used to playing on it. You can train on it probably when you want to. Um, but we'll see. We'll see on Monday if that has a bearing. I know it's not. It's a very good standard for you pitch as well. I think it's a FIFA standard one, so it's not just one that you're playing down at goals or something. It's a good. It's a very high standard one, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. It's definitely uh, you know it's up at the top level of 4G pitches that you can get. And you know if it, you know, I don't know what the weather is expected on Monday. And if but if it starts to chuck it down, you know, obviously it's going to make it a bit slicker. So balls are going to bounce in weird ways. They're going to run a lot faster than the players. And so it will it will be interesting to see. It'll definitely add a new dynamic to the game, which Northampton will have to use their experience to adapt to. But uh, again, like I said before, it will be if whoever wins or whatever happens, it will solely be down to the players and their performances rather than the pitch. Exactly, exactly. And Northampton will have to be on their, on their metal because just by the sounds of it and the, the research I've done on Oxford, you're a team with a great work ethic. So if we just let the, our foot off the gas or we come out slow, there's a potential work whereby you can, you can shock us a little bit. And I think that's maybe what David Oldford will want to do, make life uncomfortable for us and just uh, maybe play us at our own game, force us into a, a few mistakes, would you say? Oh, definitely. Um, uh, one of the players I was talking to a couple of days ago said, you know, obviously it's a great occasion for the club, but they're not just going to appear. They're not just going to see the camera, see the lights and be like, oh, wow, it's the FA Cup and then lose 5-0. They're going to make sure that whatever happens, Northampton remember that they played Oxford City. And that it won't yeah. be, oh, you know, let's just have a, have a good time and oh, well, it's out. They're going to make sure that no one can ever say, Oh, Oxford didn't give everything. So whatever happens, again, it'll be a great team and Oxford will not back down one bit. That's that's great, to be fair. That, that, that's what I want from a FA Cup tie and let the best team win. Hopefully, obviously, from our perspective, we think it's Northampton and on paper, we should have the better team. But we'll see on Monday. So let's go to a prediction then. Let's uh, let's put your, your, uh, your thoughts on the line here. What would you reckon the score will be? Um, I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw. Uh, okay. And then uh, I think I even go to say one of the goal scorers for Northampton will be Ryan Watson because I just think he's a fantastic player. Okay. Um, uh, and then I'm oh, I'm not sure, but I'm gonna have to go because of the experience Northampton have. They will all go through on penalties. Okay, we'll take going through whatever way you know. So as long as we're in the hat for the next round, we'll take that. I think it's gonna be a very competitive game, and it could go two ways I say it's quite a lot with Northampton because we're just hard to we're hard to pin down at the moment sometimes we look really good so mm. we won a couple of games in the league we've lost a, a couple 
some games we look really good. We keep the ball pretty well. We've got some talented players, people like Watson, you say. We've got um, a guy called Cole Burrow. I'm not sure he's going to play, but he came from, in from Kishalton. He's very talented. We've got Ricky Holmes, who's just come back in probably at the worst time for you. Really fantastic player at any level. He was at Sheffield United in the Premier League, so he'll be definitely one to look out for. But I think either it will be 2 0 to us, like a fairly straightforward win, a two goal margin, or it's going to be like really tight and we, it might be a draw. So, you know, I'm going to go for 2 0 because I always go with my head really. But I, if it's 1 1 or like you say 2 2, wouldn't surprise me because Keith Carl is up against it a little bit just because we're struggling to get away from that relegation zone not everyone's happy with the sort of football we play from the fans perspective so he's under a little bit of pressure and David Oldfield's surely going to be in the dressing room saying look these aren't at the top of the league like we are they're not they're struggling to an extent and just go at them the pressure is all on Northampton if Oxford lose not many people will be surprised so the pressure is all on Northampton and Oxford to just can play their own game without feeling oh you know we've got to perform here they just can do their own stuff and just, you know, if they can get a win, it'd be brilliant. But if they can't, they would have done themselves proud anyway because I, I know the squad that would have been essential to them. And then uh, Northampton would be the deserved winners and go through. So whatever happens, again, it'll be a great game and David Oldfield will make sure that his squad leave absolutely nothing out on the pitch. Sure. And as observers, that's what we want to see, isn't it? We want to see both teams go in a hammer and let the best team win and no injuries because no, no one wants any injuries at this stage of the season. Just both teams leave the pitch with full complement of players. And yeah, like I said, let's, let's see who wins on the day. But I really appreciate you coming to talk to me about this. And we'll uh, catch up afterwards to the game. Are you going to be working on the night? I am. I'll be there doing do a match report and uh, maybe an interview afterwards, depending on how it goes. So, yeah, I will be there, luckily. Good stuff. You're, you're lucky. But everyone gets to watch it. Well, whoever's got um, BT Sports, at least it is on TV. So... People have got subscriptions or whatever. It would be a good, good occasion. But uh, yeah, enjoy the game and I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you very much for having me. And see you soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Um, let's move on to the Cobblers A to Z. We're just ploughing through it now. Plough lane. Uh, yeah, ploughing through it. Uh, it's We're on to the letter H now. We're on our way. We're on our way to the Wayne Williams's, Andy. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> And we've had a lot of responses to this, like loads and loads from our listeners and tweeters and stuff. So thanks a lot for that. Um, H, you know, it's, it stands for quite a lot of things to do with the Cobblers. Um, have you got one, Andy, for the letter H? Yes, I have. Um, it is, yeah, it's Hotel End. Cool. Uh, um, you know, losing ourselves in reverie a little bit earlier about um, the good old days. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I just rem- re- remember the the place uh, very well, um, and it was it was great to stand under that. Um, again, I, I don't know whether whether it actually was, but you know, <laughs> looking back, I mean, because yeah, um, you know, standing in piss and so on <laughs> does have it d- d- does have its downsides. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, um, you know, just being in amongst it all. With yeah. you know, I mean, sort of after I you know came out of the family enclosure and started going on my own with my mates, I mean yeah. that's you know that's where that's where I went, and um, it was it was part of the um, yeah it was part of the scene, and you know it was getting up close and personal. I mean, there's I can remember sort of taping the little roundups on BBC and 
Angle, I used to sit sort of just behind the goal to the left, to the left of the goal. So anytime a cobbler scored at the hotel end with my mate, my luminous yellow and sort of pastel pink camphrey jacket, I mean, you know, I'd get over the bloody hoardings for a bit, as a few of us would. Yeah. And I'd always end up always end up on the, the roundup. Um Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I'd, yeah, it's just just uh, just fond memories of, of terracing, as we all have, I think. Yeah. And uh, and treading in piss. I I just <laughs> I'm exactly like you. I I graduated from the uh, family enclosure, but it's hard to describe now to the sort of younger fans and people that weren't there what it was like at the time. But it was something just really special about coming, especially a night game at the county ground, going down Abington yeah. Avenue. There's always usually like a mounted police horse. And uh, people coming out of the county tavern, queuing to get in the hotel end, and just that, and it's, you know, you know, well, getting to get in, like, the evocative, the, the, the onions, place, the burgers. Yeah, the place yeah. is slowly filling up as well. Yeah. You know, because you had to get in there if you wanted to get a good spot, right. blah, 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 and you had to look after your spot and that, and just, yeah, yeah the, the, the slow sense of anticipation in the hour leading up to kickoff, you know. Yeah. Not, I mean, not, you knew the team was going to be crap. You knew the team was going to be crap. It, 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 it without being too too cliche, didn't really matter. Like football in those days wasn't necessarily all about the action on the pitch. Like there was always like what's going on in the away end. You know, you know the chanting and the singing and everything. Getting a place like going up the back. Like when you were a younger kid, actually going on the hotel was sort of not scary, but it was sort of fairly you know daunting. So going up the back there, graduating forever at the back. There used to be surges, didn't there? Surges down certain songs. I remember certain chants yeah. would, would have a surge. Um, I remember that game. My probably, I would say, my best ever game at uh, the county ground in the hotel end was a 5-1v Mansfield where Terry chipped the keeper. But that night, everything came together, and it was under lights. It was absolutely magic. Yeah. Um, Jeff, you were on the hotel end, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I was at that Mansfield game as well, the 5-1. And I remember when we yes. scored the fourth or fifth, someone shouted out, "Save some for Scunthorpe," who they were playing on Saturday. <laughs> and you know, you obviously know what happened at Scunthorpe on the Saturday. They lost seven nil. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love I love the hotel end, and like you mentioned it there, I don't think it was I'd, I was never actually scared on the hotel end, but it definitely had that sort of air of terror yeah. about it, um, yeah. and especially sort of like you say, the further you get to the back, like as far as I was concerned, me and my mates were concerned, the people at the very back were basically psychopaths who you didn't want to go anywhere near, uh, and that had its own sort of layer, layer of intrigue as well. Yeah, and did it have like? Did it have lights in there, or is that just my mind playing tricks? Did it have like dim light lights in there that would lit lit like little bits up? I swear they were like. Um, and then round the round the back, like what was Terry Ansel had a little window, didn't it? Were there windows round the did. side, and then the he toilet, did. the open toilets? Can't yeah. remember much more than it than that. Well, round the back part. Round the back as well. It had um like the impressions in the corrugated iron where people had kicked it. Yeah, in in rage. So they were all like these small bumps at the back, which is I'll never forget that. That was great. I'd yeah. love one more game on the hotel end. Oh, yeah. definitely. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. You don't. You know, you don't know what you got till it's gone, do you? Really? And I, I still say that it was neat to have a, a cricket ground and a mm. football ground. One, it's pretty unique. Um, in you were on the hotel end, I take it as well. I just remember what you said. I remember Tony Ansell inside the window. He had a he had a framed fo- team photo on the wall of that cobbler's kit with the, the the white kit with the claret hoops. I always remember seeing that when I looked in there, thinking, "God, that was you know ancient history." 
And I remember there was some West Ham graffiti on the wall right at the back near the toilets. Okay. Toilets in inverted commas. And, um, you know, people go on about the atmosphere, don't they? But it was like three blokes who dressed like status quo, just vibrating <laughs> off the roof that made most of the noise, wasn't it? <laughs> all these guys in double denim making all the noise and it's just like you yeah, know yeah. from the away end and the and the aforementioned cage up there it must have sounded like there was like you know eighty thousand cobblers in there but there was yeah it was mainly those those four blokes dressed like the crow making all the noise and yeah the, the songs always london road is falling down i always remember that they used to sing that all the time yeah, yeah. i remember that one yeah Poor old borough. And yeah, there was, yeah, it was just, I just think that you can't, you can't recreate that anymore. It's just sort of a, 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 a something that's gone, isn't it? And even if you built a terrace, you just wouldn't be able to get that unique uh, sort of amalgam of just crapness, but just, just brilliant, brilliance as well. And I just think it just shows you that fans don't actually need that much to enjoy football. The facilities were so basic, open toilets and everything, but just, yeah, people still managed to have a real laugh compared to the... Just organic. Stadium. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the piss as well, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> they were, it was the piss. <laughs> Let's move on to some of the ones from the tweeters and the listeners. Uh, beginning with page, we've got quite a few, so go through them quite quickly. We've got Richard Carlton has gone for the Wizard Hodge on the, on the right wing. He was a really good winner. Uh, just uh, quite a Hodgie Hodgie as we called him before but just a, just an old fashioned exhibitor of his craft uh, Carl Heggs another podcast favourite and Steve 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 Howard up top so they're three good ones three good players Phil Aegis from the Racing Post Cobblers fan has gone for Hotel Earn like Andy gone for Richard Hill he's got to be one up there with a, in terms of quality wise Andy would you say one of the best H's we've had what Richard Hill yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of H's, aren't there? Um, I think I'll, we'll probably do a communal um, sort of Richard Hill worship when we get round to R, probably. The best thing about Richard Hill is how his amazing hairdo. And if you see him, you see him now, he's yeah, not quite so uh, shoot. But in the back in the day, yeah, that hair was fantastic. Um, Phil Aegis has also gone for Darren <laughs> Harmon, who's another another favourite of the pods. Uh, Ian Hendon, who we've talked about before, really good right back. I think. Uh, mm. Martin said one of the best right-backs we've ever had Andy Holt what a great stalwart for the football club that's a really good one from uh, Phil Aegis Deborah Marshall has gone for Mark Hughes who's still playing now I think for Accrington in League One if I'm, if I'm not wrong um, was a centre-back in your day Jeff was it Mark yeah, Hughes from Liverpool um, yeah I think I think they bought him to replace Luke Chambers so with yep. the Chambers money, and it was seen as quite a big deal that they'd managed to get this player from Everton. I yep. actually thought he was uh, he underachieved a fair bit with Northampton because yep. he was quite he was good size and he was quite a good technical player. Um, yep. He would often you know I was we were used to seeing players just smash the ball you know the ball when it goes down the side and the centre forward's chasing it and they they sort of mop it up they normally just smash that into Rose Ed. He had this great ability to be able to actually just keep it in play and just like sort of chip it down the line, which I thought was quite yeah. uh, made him quite distinctive. But he was always in the Fat Club. They did like um they would always do Stuart Gray would do a and I saw every manager does it. They do a Fat Club, which is like the players that are uh, as you might have guessed overweight and have to do extra training. He was permanently in the Fat Club at the Cobblers. So yeah, 
What, what might have, have a been... fat club? I never, I never knew they had a fat club. A bit like on um, Little Britain, was it? Yeah, uh, what's she called? Well, I, don't know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they had weigh-ins and stuff like that, but it was just they had to do a bit more than everyone else. Um, you know, go on the bike and stuff and things like that before training or run a few extra laps. It's <laughs> quite, like, quite degrading, really, if you think about it, isn't it? Imagine that in any other workplace. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was in the fat club. I'll try and remember who else was in it at that time. Um, and, you know, Liam Dolman was was in it as well. He's a very regular fixture. And again, a similar sort of player who was very good technically. Um, yeah. Didn't have the career he, he perhaps might have been. So, um, Gary, uh, less GPR11 on Twitter, has got tried to do a whole team of 11, uh, H's, which is pretty cool. He's gone for Harper, Hendon, David Hunt, Holmes, Hunter, Hunt, <laughs> Cleves. So, we've had two Hunts in that team. Paul and Howard. <laughs> So that's pretty cool. He's looking for two defenders, but we'll have to help him with that one. Um, Aidan Boyer has gone for Hildeberto Pereira, who I still think is one of the best players to ever play for Cobblers. No one really agrees with me, but he was a Portuguese guy that Jimmy Floyd Haskell Bank brought in. And he was one nuts and two just amazing. So quick. Could take a player on. Does anyone remember him, the Portuguese guy? Didn't stay for long. I don't, I don't think I ever saw him play, but being nuts and a brilliant player is a great combination. Yeah, but he's playing in the Portuguese Premier League now. He was one of these really good signings that we couldn't really afford when the right. Chinese money ran out, and he never he never stayed, but just a fantastic player, and that's a really good one from Aiden. Uh, Rich, uh, Rodney Marshall's gone for Richard Hill, best goal-scoring midfielder in the club's history with 46 goals in 86 league games. Well, I can't really argue with that. And mm. Cliff Fulton, as Ian has talked about, the best-ever player, he's called. Uh, a Rolls-Royce who hit... 50 goals in 62 league games, despite being a veteran who trained part-time. So there you go. Um, James Bland's gone for Hodgey, 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 John, John Hodge. Uh, I think he wants to be a PE teacher, but a pretty good uh, winger. Um, Grumpy Greyhead's gone for the hotel end like Andy. He's gone for Halifax lo- uh, losing to Hereford in 93. Uh, what was the relevance of that? Uh, that was during the Shrewsbury game. Ah, uh, I get you. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously the great escape. And he's also gone for Ha Mr. Harriers, not replace us us in '94 when their ground yeah. wasn't up to scratch. We were, so, we were so lucky, weren't we, in those days? Yeah, very much. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean the 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 irony of another ground not being up to scratch in the days of the <laughs> the county ground is is quite something. Yeah. <laughs> Is that when we had six fields sort of mooted or planned so they could say, well, you know, our ground is you know, going to come soon anyway. So well, that's that's exactly in that that right in the middle, um, because the last match at the county ground was supposed to be, wasn't it? March 90, March of 94. And they didn't yeah. get it ready in time. So yeah. it ended up being that October, didn't it? The anniversary has just passed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, yeah so- life, life, it's all about timing, isn't it? Sliding door. That's quite, <laughs> <laughs> quite ironic that, yeah, that um, County Ground could keep Kidderminster throughout the league, but thank God that happened. Um, Sam Brown's gone for to his horse, the surreal chart is still going to this day. Um, I had a theory about that, or a theory, I've read a theory somewhere that that was actually a naval song to his horse going back. My, in the day. Um, my favourite Northampton rendition of To His Horse was during the um, when they played Manchester United in 2003, I think. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. 
before, yeah. Um, there was we obviously sang it to Alex Ferguson, who at the time was involved in that um, the famous Rock of Gibraltar yeah. dispute with John Magnier. John Magnier. <laughs> yeah. About he was saying goodbye to that horse, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Very apt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that whole rigmarole of the uh, Rock of Gibraltar. Um, yeah, but I read that it was a naval song, and to to his horse, a horse is a nickname for a, a girlfriend, slang for a girlfriend. So it was a guy that was leaving and saying goodbye to his his girlfriend, leaving to go on the ship. So that was one theory. But God knows how cobblers <laughs> cobblers appropriated it. God knows how. I don't know. We might have a few naval people in us. Cobblers Pass just uh, tweeted at the same time. Uh, 26 years ago today, the famous hole in the pitch incident, be full of which begins with H, so we're going to nab that one. Um, it's also the first defeat. Just what an, um, a crazy set of events where the ground had just opened and hole during the game. And uh, was anyone there at that particular game? I think I missed that one. But I was yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, I went. Ian, can you talk us through what happened? Yeah, the keeper went to take his run up and I think he, he he stepped back and he stepped into the hole where the um the um the American football team posts um were there was a hole there for them and uh yeah, he stepped in it and he he like he sort of sunk in. So yeah, half time they had, I think they I think they boarded it up at half time, didn't they? If it, like yeah. they didn't like fill it with sand. I think they actually put something over it to cover it up. I don't know if they put anything over the top of that, but yeah, it was a surreal incident. Hmm. But, but at the same time, just so such classic Northampton town that we had left this ground that was terrible, that was the worst ground in the league, to go to this brand new shiny all-seater multi-purpose community-built stadium and there's a bloody hole in the pitch in the second <laughs> oh, no, game <laughs> you couldn't make it up so let's wrap up for the night guys before we dig a uh, deeper hole for ourselves uh, Jeff's off to <laughs> his championship manager stint he's got a few days off work so he's going to be uh, losing a few hours to that but um, thanks for talking to me guys and we'll speak again soon no worries see you soon cheers mate See ya. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, 
wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>